Welcome to the PB&J podcast. This will not be televised. Whether you agree with us or not, we invite you to be curious, become empowered, conduct your own research, and gain personal confidence with the goal of improving your overall health and wellness. For health topics and questions, we encourage everyone to consult their physician to discuss the best care and treatments for their personal situation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to PB&J podcast. This will not be televised. I'm here with Jay, my buddy. Hey there. My my cohort (laughs) in all things related to health and medicine. Um, Today we're going to talk about, this is kind of a follow-up part two on pharmaceuticals. Today we're going to talk about the pharmaceutical industry, specifically here in the U.S., um, there's a lot of, to- of things, controversies around the pharmaceutical industry in the U.S., and there's pros and cons. Um, and so we're going to look at kind of different facets of the pharmaceutical companies and, and take a look at, through the lens of com- uh, consumers as well. So let me say this. The U.S., uh, this was a 2020 um uh, statistic that came out by U.S. Pharmaceuticals, and the pharmaceutical industry earned about $425 billion just in 2020, and it's escalating tremendously over time, over the last few decades, um, the number of pharmaceuticals that are actually uh, been approved by the FDA has mostly tripled. Um, There's approximately 210 pharmaceuticals that are approved every year by the FDA. Um, And so as as more and more medications become available, um, there's going to be an increase uh, in not only in the amount of revenue that these pharmaceutical companies will actually make, but also in the amount of money that Americans spend on pharmaceutical or medicine because then we spend about 511 billion dollars each year just on medicines here in the U.S. So it is crazy and I I don't I I can't even say what is happening globally but in the U.S. itself it's just astronomical. Um, When I was looking up some of the things today on, on these pharmaceutical companies I had to take I had to take a glimpse at what some of these CEOs from the pharmaceutical companies were making, because if they're making that amount of, of profits, you know, just by selling the medications, what are they paying these guys who are actually running these companies? So I looked at it and it was just amazing because there was about there's it averages anywhere from one point seven million, and that's a base salary, up to seven million that these CEOs are making from the, in these pharmaceutical companies. And I couldn't understand why and, and how and, and what the heck they're doing um, in the process <laughs> to make that kind of money. Um, and their base salaries are increasing. The way they have it set up is when you have a base salary as a CEO, Every year you're given, depending on um, the amount of profits, you're giving a percentage, an increased percentage uh, in your salary. So 
the percentages can average up to 7% um, that they'll get the following year after, say, like the introduction of a new chemical or a new medicine, a new pharmaceutical that is going to be used by hundreds of thousands. And they kind of, and you can imagine what happened during COVID. I mean, these guys were, you know, they, they tagged on to COVID and the amount of vaccines that they put out. Um, and these companies are making tons and tons and tons of millions of dollars. But not only that, but they are, the funding that's going into some of these pharmaceutical companies is just unbelievable. And most U.S. citizens don't even realize that they're paying for their medicine twice. Once as a taxpayer, because what happens uh, when a company or say like NIH um, is developing, companies get tax credits for developing, you know, different pharmaceuticals. Um, but the government, such like NIH and some of these research institutions, they are funded by the government. So that funding comes out of taxpayer dollars. So not only are you paying for the medications through taxpayer dollars up front because you're actually funding the research and development, but you're also paying it on the back end as a consumer of the medication. So most people don't even know that they're paying for it twice. And so we have to ask the question sometimes like, why is it so expensive? If I'm, if I'm already paying for pharmaceuticals, for research and development of pharmaceuticals, why am I also paying so much to actually get those pharmaceuticals? So you, so you know what, Pam, you just, you made me think of something. I wonder if it's more than twice because you think when you go and get your, you know, you go to the pharmacy and get your prescription refilled or filled. And so the the money that it costs to to generate that prescription, you know, taxpayer mm. dollars, you know, funded by, you know, government agencies or subsidies to uh, private companies. And then if your insurance, because you're paying for your own insurance, even if it's Medicare, because you paid into Medicare by working, and then they say, oh, no, um, you, there, there's, uh, that's a copay. You now mm-hmm. have to f- also fork out, you know, X amount of dollars. So even, right. even more money, right? Yeah. So I wonder yeah. if it's so maybe three or four times. All the way around. And, yeah. And it seems like the consumer is the one who's paying for all of these drugs that they're putting on the market. But at the same time, we're also the ones that are suffering as a result of it because of the high cost. I mean, when you look at some of the statistical data, you can see that a lot of people have foregone taking certain medications they're life-saving medications for them um, because of the fact that the cost is related to them, just to get the medication. And, you know, you and I have taught that, that people are willing to go to other countries or other areas just to get their medication. I mean, in California, there was a statistic came out that, um, that most, I don't even know the percentage, but it was something like, 11.4% of Californians actually go to Mexico to get their medication. And, and oh, by the way, I'm going to throw something else in there. Um, when I used to go on cruises like twice a year, 
And, and you would go to places, uh, you know, one of the ports was like Belize or, you know, somewhere in Mexico or, or somewhere else where they had little pharmacy companies. Guess where all the cruisers went? <laughs> they, they went because they, you didn't need a prescription. And so they went and got all these uh, prescription medicines out of these little pharmacies in these Caribbean islands. And mm-hmm. they brought them back on the ship and took them home. And, and why not? And oh, by the way, they're a lot cheaper, and a lot of people are not thinking about, well, is this really the prescription, you know, is this really the drug, or is this a, a right. you know, a facsimile of some sort just to get people to buy it? I don't know. Yeah, and you don't know, because, I mean, some of those countries, um, some of those areas, like Mexico and Canada, you know, there are countries out there that lack the same kind of standards that we have here in the U.S. So you really, the FDA standards. So you really don't know exactly what you're getting, but you know, sometimes I wonder if the placebo effect is more effective than the actual medication itself. You know, believing that you actually got the drug as opposed to actually getting the drug and, and the potency that you need in order to so I don't know. I'm not it's, sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. And, you know, you mentioned potency. And so so if you're talking about the Caribbean islands, which, which was my mm-hmm. example, you don't know, and we talked about this in an earlier, I think in our first, in part one of this uh, podcast, you don't know whether it's been stored appropriately. You don't mm-hmm. know if the um, formulation is the same as what you would get in the States. You don't know uh, if it's even what you think you're buying um, right. because they just could be set up to, to get, you know, money from whoever is cruising on a ship. So mm-hmm. I don't think that most people are thinking about that. I think they're looking at, oh, my gosh, I can get my medic, I can get my antibiotics here for, you know, $2. In the States, it would be $20. So they stock up and they bring it on the ship. Right. You know, not really. Here it is. You get a vacation at the same time. So what? Exactly. (laughs) Medical tourism. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. Pharmaceutical tourism. Right. Right. (laughs) I mean, you know, but if it works, it works. I mean, they were found out that, and this is, I think, where I got the 11.4%. They found out that uh, this was a CDC report. They did a study and found that 11.4% of adults aged 18 to 64 did not take their prescription because of the, the amount the cost. of the cost. Well, yeah. how, many, how many horror stories have we all heard about the elderly who are on fixed incomes? And yeah. they sit there, you know, their prescription costs X amount of dollars and like, well, I can either take my medicine or buy food. Right. Which are the, and you and I talked about this last week um, on our mm-hmm. own. You know, which are they going to choose? Oh, they're probably going to choose food. I'm Absolutely. thinking. Absolutely. Because yeah. yeah. most, here it is, most medications you can't take without food. Anyway. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, right. you can't put yourself, it, it's, it's a, it, like I said, it is, it has its pros and cons. The pharmaceutical industry does have its pros and cons. And I'm not going to say that all things are bad in the pharmaceutical companies um, here in the U.S. Because one thing they have done which was to improve the, you know, through AI, to improve the distribution and not only that, but the medications themselves, you know, because of the fact that there's improved quality control 
on certain medications here in the U.S. because of AI. So artificial intelligence is what you're referring to, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. I'm sorry. I'm That's so okay. used to saying AI yeah. and assume everybody knows. Yeah, I just wanted so our right. listeners yeah. know. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So this these are this technology that's coming out, uh, and here it is. Technology is here to stay in the pharmaceutical industry because not only because of quality control, but they can actually mass produce. You know, at a cheaper cost to them because there's improved speed and efficiency in the way they're doing it, as well as compliance and, and creating, the bad part about it is not creating savings to the consumer. So that's, what, that's my problem with the whole thing about AI technology. It has its benefits, and I know it's expensive for these companies to do it, but when you're making that kind of money, you know, um, within just that one year, you know, that I talked about, um, you're making that kind of money. AI is cheap. Well, it's becoming more mainstream than it ever was. I mean, 10 years ago, it was just kind of a a, a cloudy concept, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone thought, oh, yeah, artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now right. it's, it's pretty mainstream, and it's going to get more mainstream, I would guess. Yeah. And it's and so you know that as a result of it, of because of the fact that it's becoming more mainstream and it's becoming more cost effective, yep. that these companies are going to make more money, much more money. <laughs> <laughs> much more money. I don't know how much money they want to make, but you know the thing is, it's such, it's it's. It's just astronomical when you think about the money that they actually are are making, considering that they're getting all these government incentives and shelters and credits from the government as well as the government itself investing, you know, these investing millions and billions of dollars into the industry itself just to develop these drugs. And it's like, okay. Well, you know that's what was happening with the COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was really no other choice but for the government to invest um, in that whole thing. And so there's always a chance that that might happen again, or maybe yep. even on a larger scale. And, and it's most likely will be because of this variant. Yeah. I mean, we're going into the third year of COVID. Yeah. You know, with this variant, trust me. This is a new one. B, yeah, exactly. B4, B5, I think B5. is what it's called. <laughs> B9. I feel like we're playing bingo, right? After a while, we're going to forget the numbers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, because, and and this, you know, I I just can't see it slowing down um, because of the fact that there is more so a need than anything else. Well, now monkeypox too, right? Yes. Yes. I mean. Yes. We had one case that was here in, in, you know, the the eastern, eastern part of the U.S., that we have one incident of, of monkeypox, and it's like they're telling everybody, okay, go back to masking up. Well, they, to me, and I'm just going to say this is my personal preference, I never stop wearing a mask. Yeah, I, I haven't either. Um, and I'm just like, hey, if you have a problem with it, you're just going to have to look away. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> because right. it's not your problem that I'm wearing a mask. It's not your problem. This is more, and, and as much as I want to say that I'm out there trying to protect other people, 
the measures that I take is really to protect myself. Yeah, mine, you're not alone, because I'm just like, I was in the store, and I had mine on, and someone was having some kind of a sneezing attack, and someone was coughing. I'm like, yeah, that's why I had this mask on, because I don't want to get sick. I haven't been sick for two years, more than two years now, because no. I've been wearing a mask. I'm like, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. right. And people don't see the, all the smirks under your mask. Oh, yeah. Me. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm not wearing lipstick. And, you know. Right. It's exactly. like, yeah, co covers up a lot of flaws in the process. It, it does. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. So I'm enjoying the, the point of wearing a mask. And, you know, I don't condemn anyone who's who's not wearing a mask. Exactly. I mean, you know, everyone makes their own purpose. choice. Yeah. yeah. Everyone makes their own choice. The thing is that you and I have been around in, in, in the medical world to know that this is not over. Right. You know, we knew yeah. when COVID came out that this was not going to be, COVID was just going to disappear. You know, we knew that there were variants that going to, were going to come along. And, and as long as this virus is able to morph into other viruses, into variants, yeah. then, you know, this is not the, the last stand. Well, not only sure. that, but, so you figure um, folks in Asia have mm. been wearing masks routinely for, I don't know, decades? Decades, yes, And And decades. people would go there and say, oh, I don't know, that's kind of weird, you know, they're all wearing masks. It's like, yeah. That's not such a bad idea. Bad idea. Considering, yeah, yeah, considering those areas also have high concentration of pollutants. Well, they're um, not yeah. only that, but they're highly populated too. I mean, the housing True. and the and the. Uh, I'm sorry, we're getting off on a tangent here, folks, the listeners. <laughs> but you figure how dense the population is, and how mm -hmm. it's probably easier to transmit um, mm -hmm. viruses. Um, in, in those kinds of situations because they don't have it's not like here in the United States where you can go buy two acres of land and, and build a house on and a lot of people live in the city and they're living in you know these these really small apartments what we would consider totally unlivable um, that's Absolutely. what they're living in. they don't have any choice that's true yeah so all in all let's go back to our subject so every right. day you know Americans are spending all this money on the funding and development of these medications, but they are not receiving anything close to return on their investment. And so we have to kind of, you know, I don't have the answer of how to move forward through the big pharma because it's been around for so long. Um, and I think it's going to escalate, but we'll see what happens over time. So I'm going to touch on, uh, that's a good segue for me, but I'm going to touch on something that you and I talked about uh, by ourselves. I think it was last week. It's an example of folks who are paying for prescription medication um, that if they did some more research or if it was widely publicized from pharmaceutical companies, they wouldn't have to pay what they're paying. And what happened to me uh, was when I was helping my dad with this blood thinner medication. I'm not going to mention the brand name um, because I don't think it's just that medication. I think it's probably many pharmaceuticals similarly. Uh, mm -hmm. I went to um, the local uh, drugstore to go pick it up, and, and the uh, pharmacist says, okay, that will be $200. Mm -hmm. And I just about, you could knock me over with a feather. 
And I said, uh, what? Yeah, $200. This was a um, labeled, this was not a, um, a generic form. It, it could not be a generic form because it was still patented. I think the patent lasts 20 years if what I read is true. So um, I you know, came home, I, I said, uh, Dad, uh, your prescription for this, you know, this stuff that the doctor says you need to take is $200 a pop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was like, what? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, because I'm curious and because I'm always looking for a needle in a haystack, I got on the computer and I started looking for uh, the, the pharmaceutical company that puts this particular drug out. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know, once I got on their website, uh, they had this coupon that you could download and give to your pharmacist that brought the cost down to $10. That's ten dollars. Ten dollars versus two hundred dollars. You heard right, listeners. Ten dollars. Now, you figure I am probably the exception and not the rule, because who is going to the drugstore getting their medication and saying, "Oh, geez, I wonder if I could make. I wonder if it's I could get this cheaper." Mm-hmm. How many people in the United States, especially if they're elderly and they're not computer savvy or they don't do a lot of surfing on the computer anyway, they're not going to these companies' websites looking for coupons. Not at all. That's not happening. So how many people are paying that $200 a pop? I mean, you talk about... you can get it for 10. And you can get it for 10. And and I just, I was like, this is so wrong on so many levels. And so you look at the uh, CEO salaries and you look about you look at the stocks and you look at how much money is involved in uh, big pharma. Uh, it's pretty depressing. It really um, is. It, it really is. And so let's talk about, um, let's talk about money and advertising. So who hasn't sat down and watched TV and every other commercial is a commercial for some kind of medication. You're like, Oh my gosh, you know, I don't have that. I don't have psoriasis. I don't have osteoarthritis. I don't have migraines. I just, I'm so tired of looking at it, but they're all over the place and they haven't stopped. They're getting, they're getting more and more, at least, you know, when I watch TV. So Mm -hmm. I did some plinking around and I'm going to give you two, two uh, sides of the coin. I'm going to give you the pros of doing that. Then I'm going to give you the cons of doing that based on two different articles that I read. Um, One has to do with um, the FDA FDA.gov website. Uh, this was, uh, cr- according to the website, it said this content is current as of 2015. And so it talked about, you know, how FDA oversees the advertising of prescription drug products under um, the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Um, that means the agency must ensure that prescription drug information provided by drug firms is truthful, balanced, and accurately communicated. I had to laugh when I read that, by the way, Uh, just saying. So um, they did these uh, surveys. Now, this was uh, pretty long ago. They did surveys with the third one being conducted in 2004. So uh, pretty long ago. And this was a 500 physician survey. And according to the, you know, I don't know why they're surveying physicians, but that's another story. Right. So the, the results of the survey said, 
Most doctors agreed that because their patient saw a TV ad, more thoughtful questions were asked during doctor visits, and the ads made patients more aware of possible treatments. They also thought that TV ads made their patients more involved in their health care. Uh, the majority of physicians surveyed believe their patients understand the possible benefits of the drug very well or, or somewhat. Um, they believe that their patients understand the possible risks based on the TV ads that are out there. Now, there were some. There were some that said TV ads confuse patients about the risks and benefits of prescription drugs. Um, a majority of the physicians believe that uh, these TV ads cause patients to think that the drug works better than it does, and many doctors felt some pressure to prescribe something when patients mm. mentioned it, right? You mm. go to the doctor and say, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I saw a prescription for, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, I think I need to be taking yes, that. I need that. <laughs> right. I, that, that's going to solve all my problems. I'm just going to be, right. you know, a, an athlete after I take that drug. So, um, let's see. At the uh, So, first of all, that, that whole thing, those three surveys, I, what I thought was interesting is they surveyed physicians, and there were only 500 physicians. Right. So, I don't know, with that sample size, I'm not sure how valid you know, the, the results were, but I yeah. did, yeah. You have to think about what region of the country, was it across the country? Exactly. It, you know, but five, when you think about 500, that's really a small sample size. Exactly. And so, um, similarly, this guy, um, his name is John LaMatina, and this was in a Forbes article. Um, he is, he was the president of Pfizer Global Research and Development in 2007. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of get the drift of what I'm getting ready to tell you. Mm -hmm. um, the article talked about how this year's Academy Awards drew 13.7 million viewers. And uh, included in the advertisers was the biopharmaceutical industry. That would be Pfizer, Novartis, and Lilly, as mm -hmm. well as some smaller biopharma pharma company named Insight. So the thirty so this is this is the this is what kind of makes me not happy. The thirty second spots in the Academy Awards TV show they mm -hmm. ran from one point seven to two point two million dollars. That's for thirty seconds on TV. Ooh, for one show. For one one ad, one point seven to two point two million dollars. Now. Mm -hmm. This article talked about, well, you know, when you hear about that, you're like, well, how come, how come that money can't be spent on something else? And so um, uh, John LaMatina indicated that compared to what pharmaceutical companies spend on research and development, his opinion was that uh, pharmaceutical companies spend less on TV ads. So, mm, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Right, right. So, I don't know about that, Jay. Because yeah. you know what? If you if you look at at mainstream television, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and just local local television stations, you see ads all day long, all day long, all day long, all night time. long, too. All night long. As, right. as an insomniac, different. I can tell you, they're on at night too. <laughs> and it's it right, and it's crazy, right? Because the thing is, they tell you the benefits because you know that the the pictures of people playing in the street and walking in the parks and you know not suffering from all the elements that that 
a normal a, a person with that particular disease or ailment has that they're unable to do, they make it seem like Shangri-La. Right, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that in just a second. So wrapping this one up from uh, Mr. La Martina, who is certainly entitled to his opinion, uh, you know, all that jazz. He says in this article, one could argue that if you drop the TV ads, you'd have another 3.9 billion dollars to invest in research and development. He says it's really not that simple. He said companies invest in R&D, research and development, to drive sales. They have clear data that indicate that this sales strategy works, but an extra billion in drug sales means that there's another 200 million to invest in research and development. TV mm. ads directly benefit R&D. Mm. I think I'd need to see more um, data mm. on that. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, but he brings up a good point. I mean, to say that it does, how it does benefit the you know, the, the pharmaceutical companies at the same time, it's like, still, you're talking about a lot of dollars here. <laughs> I, I would still, I would need more, you know, I'm just reading articles, and I'm sure there's some really in-depth analysis and reports out there and studies that mm -hmm. I have not seen. So I would... And, you, and you know what? Oddly enough, there's not, a, and I, I did a lot of research, and, and oddly enough, there's not a lot of, information on the pharmaceutical industry itself yeah from what i've been able to gain you know i mean i went through so many searches it was ridiculous just to to gain some insight into where the the money was going to follow the money right, right? <laughs> that's that might be intentional i'm i'm, I'm thinking it, it might be I'm intentional thinking. I think it is. I really believe it is. Right. I mean, the thing is, in the case of, of course, this one article that I came across, of course, they released information about NIH because of the fact that it's public information. Sure. That money is government funded. Right. It comes out of taxpayer dollars. Right. So <clears throat> you can find it there. But with these larger pharmaceutical companies, unless you're um, like a stockholder, yeah. And you get the stockholder, you know, report. I mean, I don't know how inclusive or, you know, it, it includes this, you know, provides this information. But at the same time, you know, a lot of it's missing. Yeah. I, you know, there's, you know? regardless of what we talk about on these podcasts, there's so much more information out there, whether it be easy to find or difficult to find, mm -hmm. that, you know, people, you know, as we say, uh, on our on our uh, podcast, we encourage people to do their own research, and yes. and to be intellectually curious, especially if they don't agree with what we're talking about. Um, oh, absolutely! Because yeah. we don't we don't anticipate or expect anyone to agree with what we're telling you. Right. What we provide you is with facts that we've been able to find from the research that we've been able to do. Yeah. Um. So that you can gain insight and ask your own questions. Because we may not be hitting the questions that you specifically want to know. Exactly. But we're trying to give you a little insight that you can, that will prompt something within yourself that you can ask the questions, not only do your own research online, but talk to your physician as well. Exactly. And so let me, let me tell you the other side of the coin for, um, for pharmaceutical ads. 
So um, this gentleman, uh, Dr. Robert Schmerling, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, from Harvard Health AdWatch, uh, there's a series, and this is from March 2022. Um, he indicates in his article that in 1997, the FDA eased restrictions to allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise directly to consumers. So Ooh. with restraints lifted, spending on prescription drug ads soared to nearly $10 billion a year, and it's increasing. That's mm. $10 billion. Mm. So um, the main purpose of drug advertising is to sell the product, not to educate consumers. And I thought that was a, mm. a good takeaway. It's like those companies are not running drug ads to educate you about a particular illness or, or mm -hmm. symptom. They're trying to sell their product, right? They're trying to get you to go to the doctor and say, I need to have that medicine because it's going to clear up my skin or it's going to do this or it's going to do that. And that drives up their sales. So it's not an, an education. It's not like they're doing um, public service announcements, right? Right. <laughs> right. They're, they're, do, right. they're running ads that cost millions of dollars. And so um, he says advocates often present the ads as a chance to educate people about conditions and treatments they were unaware of, improve mm. health by encouraging people to take medications they should be taking, Raise awareness of possible side effects because regulations require consumers to be referred to a website, magazine, or other uh, resource. Lessen the stigma surrounding certain conditions such as mental illness or ED. I'm not even going to go into that. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, That's a whole different topic. <laughs> yeah. Increase detection of unrelated diseases if patients are inspired by ads to see their doctors. And so he says, his experience, and this is an arthritis specialist who, who, um, who wrote this article, by the way. Mm. Uh, he says that, unfortunately, experience shows that ads may present incomplete or biased information, and this is kind of mm -hmm. what you just talked about before, spur people to ask for medications they mm. don't need. Mm. Promote medications before long-term safety is known. He says in one case, a new pain relief drug was pulled from the market due to an unexpected rise in heart attacks and strokes, but mm. not before millions of people had seen the ad and began taking it. Right. Um, create conflicts between patients asking for a drug and doctors who don't recommend it. And drive up health care costs without adding health benefits. New drugs are much more expensive than generic drugs that may do the same job, yet the cost is rarely mentioned in the ads. So yeah. that's the other side of the coin. And by the way, that, you know, that guy is a doctor. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. And, and you know what? You, you, you made a good point in, the, in that article. He made a good point in that article is that, you know, it's there to not to, it's there to make money for yeah. these companies. It's not there to really educate anyone. It's there for the purpose of the profit. And so we talked about this once before, Jay, is that your doctor, your private, your healthcare physician or healthcare provider actually works for you. So when you go into their office and you tell them you want to try XYZ drug, guess what? They are okay with doing it. They're okay with you trying XYZ drug because of the fact that in all essence, you are their boss. You pay their bills. And so they're more willing to, to have, if they say, okay, let's try it and see how it works, you know, instead of them being 
educated enough to say, well, do you, are you aware of the risks involved, right? Yeah. So I, we have yeah. to ask that question because not every physician knows every drug that's being produced on the marketplace. Well, not only that, um, but I think your point is well taken relative to discussing the risks and the side effects. Uh, I think we talked about this in, in uh, one of our other sessions. It might have been the first podcast where you get those little inserts with your prescription drugs. You know, it's the, the font is like size two, so you need a magnifying glass to read it to begin with. And then secondly, you start reading all the side effects. You're like, oh, my God. I, I, I might I die if I take this. <laughs> I don't know if I want it right. or not. And if you had had that conversation or your, your physician had that, had that conversation with you to begin with, then it might have made you a little more reluctant to say, yeah, I want that drug. I want to use yes. it. I want to try it. And, I want to try it. And, and, and oh, by the way, I'm going to bring up something else too. If you have not revealed to your physician other things that you are taking, either mm. because you don't want to tell that person or you forgot or you just started taking it and you don't think it's, it's inconsequential, your, your physician also needs to know that when they prescribe you your medication so that because there are mixtures of, of medications that could really be possibly deadly. Right. Um, and sometimes you can't depend on the pharmacist to make a oh, determination, which we talked about. Right. You know, because they're one, they're overworked, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I have to say underpaid in a lot of ways because yeah. of the fact of what they do. Um, but at the same time, you can't depend on your pharmacist to pick up everything, you know, all the nuances of every drug that you're taking, even though, and we talked about this in one of our other episodes, um, you know, you may have a pharmacist on one side of town and you go over there because it's convenient for you. Yeah, another side of town, you know, and their their records may not actually mesh. The one pharmacist may not see the records of another prescription or another medication that you're taking. So yeah, it's it's like uh, you know, it's a shot in the dark basically. Yeah. So let me just go. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about one more thing, and then you can either cut me off or you can keep no, going. No, no, please, please. Um, we were talking about costs of drugs. And recently in the news, I have heard um, about Canada and how uh, much more, how less expensive drugs are in Canada. And so I was like, huh, I wonder why that is. And so when I was looking at, at articles, this was from the Houston Healthcare Initiative, um, August 2020. Um, there, uh, this, uh, Dr. Stephen Goldstein is, uh, wrote this article, and he says... Um, like many Americans, Dr. Goldstein is concerned about the state of the U.S. healthcare system as well as the sorry state of the public's health. Canada prices are lower because the Canadian government regulates the price. In Canada, a review board decides on pricing and what they believe is a reasonable or excessive price. If they decide a drug is priced too high, they won't allow it on the drug formulary. That board, that, that entity that looks at it is called the Patented Medicine Prices Review Board. Um, and it's described as a quasi-judicial agency. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that there are doctors on that board, if there are you know healthcare professionals of some sort on that board, or whether it's just a, a bunch of people looking at 
you know, costs only. I'm not familiar enough with Canada stuff to know, but it says before a prescription drug can be sold in Canada, it's scientifically reviewed to make certain it can do what it's supposed to do. A committee of experts known as the Human Drug Advisory Panel makes recommendations about other valid drugs on which to make a comparison, in addition to recommendations for the categorization of new drugs. And it goes on and on and on. Um, He ends up by saying the people in this country essentially pay for all of this work as countries like Canada do not allow their citizens to share the cost. So you were talking earlier about how we have to pay for R&D. Sounds like Canada doesn't have to share that cost. New drugs are issued a patent giving the drug company a monopoly in the United States. New drugs Mm -hmm. are issued a patent giving the drug company a monopoly on the sale of that drug for 20 years. In the States, the drug company is free to, to set whatever price it likes for prescription drugs. Prices are then negotiated between insurance companies and the manufacturers. The Canadian system does not allow enough incentive for new drugs to be created, um, on the other hand. So mm-hmm. you've got the United States where we can get new drugs, but they set the prices. We, you know, we don't have any choice. And you've got Canada that does, maybe doesn't have a lot of new drugs, but the prices are lower. So it's, you know, there's probably, but the thing is, even though they may not be producing a lot of the drugs, they have access to the drugs. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, I guess that's the reason why they said about a million Americans per year go to Canada. Yeah. And like I, you know, like I said earlier, the people in the cruise ships (laughs) going to a little, the little grass hut, uh, you know, pharmacies in in the Caribbean, you know, getting uh, prescription medicine. And so people might say, well, why can't, why can't we just get all of our drugs from Canada? Right? Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking. Well, why can't I just, you know, go ahead and do that? There is a um, Safe and Affordable Drugs from Canada Act of 2021 that was introduced. It was a bill that was introduced. Mm. Um, It requires the FDA to allow for the personal import of prescription drugs from Canada in certain instances. Hmm. I'm not going to go into more of what this bill is because the bill died on the vine. (laughs) Yeah, once once a bill is introduced, if if Congress doesn't act on it, it's Mm -hmm. it's dead in the water. It's not like it sits around, you know, waits for another Congress, and it's like, well, you know, if I get to it next time, yeah, apparently that's not how it works. So uh, just some food for thought uh, relative to prescription medicine and and how all that works and why Mm -hmm. we're paying so much money and why we should all be CEOs of pharmaceutical companies so that we could be rich and... (laughs) Absolutely. And make Absolutely. millions of dollars. And, and re, right. Get millions of dollars and reap all the benefits. Exactly. Yeah. I just think it's that. Um, we're going to wrap this up, folks. And thanks again for joining me, PB, and Jay on another venture as we dive into part two of the pharmaceutical industry. And as always, go find what you need to find for yourself, for your family, for your loved ones, and take heed to what's being hap- what is happening in the in the marketplace. Um, not only with pharmaceutical, with all things. So we'll talk to you soon. Jay, I'm gonna turn it over to you to close out. But I wanted to thank our listeners, and we'll come back soon. 
Talk to y'all next time. Take care.